0: Amen. Well, hey, how many guys were here last week when I had to do what I had to do? And that was expose Ken's bad driving habits. Yes. Sorry. Sorry, Ken. That's, that gave you a happy birthday. Just deal with it. But anyway. Uh, so anyway, so after apparently last week, you know, I exposed that to everybody. Ken's driving habits there. He decided he needed to get a break from me. You know what I'm saying? A little space between me and I so we wouldn't, you know, lay hands on each other. That biblical term think, whatever. So anyway, so here's what he did, apparently. Uh, Ken decides to go over here to Nellis Air Force Base, right? And he hitches a ride on one of the planes out there to do some skydiving, right? You know, get away from it all, peace and quiet, and all that stuff. It's a guy thing. Well, anyway, Ken, he gets up several thousand feet on the plane there, and he, he jumps out, and he's enjoying this quiet, peaceful shh, free fall, right? Just enjoying it, getting away from everything. And, and all of a sudden, he notices he reaches the altitude there, uh, the altitude where he's got to open up his parachute, okay? But as he pulls the ripcord, nothing happens, yeah, okay. But Ken says, no problem. I still got my emergency chute. So Ken pulls the ripcord on the emergency parachute. But then again, nothing happens. So now Ken, man, he's in a total panic. He goes, man, what am I going to do? I'm a governor. I'm sorry, Pastor Billy. Please forgive me. You're forgiving, Ken. Okay. <laughs> well, just then, just then, as fate would have it, Ken sees another guy flying upwards towards him from the earth. And he can't figure out who this man is. Why is he coming up? But he says to himself, who cares, man? I I hope he can help me. Uh, I'm in real trouble. So when the man gets closer to Ken, he recognizes it's John Lambeth. Yeah. And so Ken, he cups his hands over his mouth. He says, hey, John. Hey, I'm so glad to see you. Do you know anything about parachutes? And John still flying upward towards Ken says, no. Do you know anything about gas stoves? (laughs) Sandy? We're going to have to start all over on the kitchen again in the office. <sighs> Whatever. But hey, how many guys would say that Ken and John, their stories are not going to have a very happy ending there? You know what I'm saying? It's very impacting in a negative sense there. But believe it or not, Ken and John apparently are not the only Christians who are going to have an unhappy ending to their time here on earth. Okay? When you take a look at the facts of what's going on in the American church, a whole bunch of Christians are gonna end up that way spiritually because they're not studying the Bible. God's instructions for leaving and living life here on earth, okay? And it's leading to some explosive endings. And here's what I think is one of the biggest ones. This behavior has gone on so long that it's now creating a whole generation of churches full of Christians who are acting like practical atheists. Once again, what do we do? We say, oh yeah, I believe in God, yeah. Of course you gotta say that. But with our lips and our lives, the lost a whole different impression like god's not even there okay and it's not just detrimental in our walk with god the lost are watching us it keeps other people from believing in god yeah that's serious stuff folks we need to be a positive witness for Jesus. Therefore, to avoid this irony of you and I living as practical atheists, as Christians, by not knowing who God is, we're going to continue our study on the character of God from God's Word, the Bible. Okay, let's let Him tell us who He is, okay, and get busy with that. The first thing we already saw is, hello, God is real. This is not a pipe dream. We're really here for a real reason. And the reason was the second thing, a personal, intimate, loving, beautiful relationship with God, the creator of the universe, okay? The third thing about God, He knows everything. He is wise. Why would you go anywhere else for advice? He doesn't lie. He's not like man. He'll never steer you wrong. Just stick with God's word. It'll always work out just fine. Okay. And then the last nine times we saw the fourth thing is God is sovereign. One last time. Let me read that to you. That means all things. How many things? All things, listen, are under God's rule and control and nothing. How much? Nothing happens without his direction or permission. As we saw as Christians, man, isn't that awesome? Outside eternal security, isn't the sovereignty of God one of the most comforting truths in the scripture? I mean, this is amazing, right? And, and it not just comforts us, it begins to uh, answer some of those skeptical questions we get asked about God, specifically about the why is there evil and suffering? What's up with that? If God's soul want, you've ever heard that stuff? Right? And so we've been taking a look at that aspect. All right, what good can come from suffering? Does God really have a good plan for those who love Him, i.e., The Christian, yeah. And last time we saw three more wise, good reasons why God sovereignly allows these hard times to come. One was to get us to return to him, two, to get us to witness for him and stop being a Jonah, okay? And two, and three, to teach us the power of praise. When you learn the power of praise and you give God praise continually, even when you don't want to, that's why it's called a sacrifice of praise. That is what gives you the ability to soar above any and all your problems and your problems don't drag you down. Isn't that a wonderful, good thing? Amen, that's just one of them, okay? Now, we've got one more round to go, and then we'll move on to the next attribute, okay? The 18th wise good reason, why does God allow difficulties? What I've learned and what we see, I believe, in the Scripture is to purify your service. And aren't you so glad that when it comes to serving Jesus, it's completely optional? Man, I'm starting sarcasm early. We're in trouble. Okay, but don't take my word for it. Uh, let's listen to God. Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, okay? going to talk about spiritual gifts. Right, God gave us gifts for what? Just so we can say this is my gift and it collects dust? No, the gifts are meant to be used in service to Jesus Christ, to other people, specifically the church. Okay, First Corinthians chapter twelve, verses one through eleven. Let's take a look at that aspect there. Now, if you find Second Corinthians, Bobby, what do you do? Take a left. That's right. That's right. Take a left. That's right. And uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the heading, of course, is spiritual gifts. And as we're going to see, Paul says, this is important. I don't want you to be ignorant about this. Pay attention. Why did God give the gifts? What's the purpose? What's it all about? Okay, here's what he says. Now, about spiritual gifts, brothers, Paul says, verse 1, I don't want you to be what? Ignorant. You know that when you were pagan, somehow or other, okay, you were influenced and led astray by mute idols. Therefore, I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed. okay, And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Now, there's different kinds of gifts, he says, but the same what? Spirit. And there are different kinds of service, but the same what? Lord. There are different kinds of uh, uh, workings, uh, but the same what? God, okay, and he works through all of them, okay, and all men. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. For what? Why is the gifts given? The common good. What's the context? The church. The gifts are given for the common good of the church, okay? Now... He breaks down some categories. To one is given through the Spirit, the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that uh, one Spirit. Okay, to another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between Spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues, literally languages. And still to another, the interpretation of those languages or tongues. Listen, all these are the work of the one and the same what? spirit listen to this and he who the spirit of god he gives them to each one just as what he wills or he determines how many times you hear people say man i'm gonna pray for this gift i'm gonna hey you can pray to your blue in the face if that ain't the one that god wanted to give you you ain't getting it so that's a false teaching you get them when you get saved okay but he tells us the purpose of this and to me this is is amazing news man Right? I mean, I was. Is anybody excited you got saved from hell? Yes. Right? We can close in prayer on that one, but I got a lot of notes. I can't do that. Right? Whoa! <laughs> I remember just being saved, like, man, I can't believe. I, I'm not just not going to hell, but I'm going to heaven. The completely It's a gift from God. Regardless of what I've done, he's, his blood, his sacrifice on the cross, he paid it all. It's, it's, whoa! And then I remember coming across the scripture like this and going, like, whoa, whoa, this keeps getting better. You mean to tell me before I even get to heaven? God wants to use me to do something. In fact, he's not relying upon me to do it. He gives me supernatural gifts to pull it off. This is just like icing on the cake. This is absolutely it's like, it's like bacon on a cheeseburger. You know what I'm saying? This is good stuff, right? I'm sorry, I broke a rule. You're never supposed to share early in the morning food analogies. My instructors would smack me in love. Yes, it is. I'm sorry about you. But anyway, it's, it's good stuff. So this is amazing good news, and I hope it is for you. When God saves us, listen, Christian, he doesn't save us to just sit around on our blessed assurance because we got our fire insurance and do nothing. Did you know that? I hope that's really not a shock to you. He's got something absolutely awesome for us, right? We read Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, that God has saved us by grace through faith, right? This is not of yourselves. It's a gift from God. Let's sing with both. Read verse 10. What's well, verse 10? Don't stop. He says to what? He saved us. He prepared the good works he prepared in advance for us to do. So that means every single Christian has an absolutely cool, supernatural mission from God before we even get to heaven. To do for him. Isn't that awesome? And that's what he's saying here. This is awesome. He gives each born-again Christian at the moment of salvation different kinds of gifts to serve him with. For who? The church. So that we can benefit one another and he breaks it down one christian gets one gift another christian gets another gift and so on and So forth and it's meant for the strengthening of the church that we can go stronger as god's family It's absolutely awesome. And not only that Service to jesus christ is a privilege. Did you know that and if it's a pain something's wrong After all he's done for us. I mean come on We don't serve because we're trying to earn a way to heaven. That's complete. Amen. Praise god It's out of love I do thankful? If somebody saved your life, what's the normal response? Can I take you out to eat? Right? You want to go to the bacon bar? Oh, I'm in trouble. I did it twice. Right? Can I shine your shoes? Can I wash your car? Anything that's natural. How much more so when we're saved from hell? So service is a privilege, and again, he doesn't just leave it all on us. He gives us gifts to do it. It's just awesome. But the Bible also says when you serve Jesus, you could get something called a crown. Right? I don't have time to go into it too deep. There's five different crowns mentioned in the Bible. The incorruptible crown or the victor's crown. Two, the crown of life or the martyr's crown. Three, the crown of glory, the shepherd or the elder's crown. Four, the crown of righteousness or just longing for Jesus. Anybody long for Jesus' return? Hey, you get a crown just for that. I hope we at least get there with at least that one. That's an easy one. Come on. Fifth, the crown of rejoicing, the soul winner's crown. Leading people to Jesus, you get a crown. Oh, wow. Right? And the Bible says it's not only a privilege to serve Jesus Christ, then on top of that, we have a crown, more than one crown that we could earn. Why? So that we have the privilege to lay at his feet, Revelation chapter 4. Isn't that awesome? How many of you guys want to get to heaven empty-handed? I don't. 1 Corinthians 3, we've seen that many times before. What's it say? Oh, you, you made it. You know, the, the, the day will bring it to light, the fire, try your works, you know, wood, hay, stubble, straw, gold, whichever ones. He says, you know, the one that everything gets burned up, says, uh, he himself will be saved, but only as one escaping the flames. You just got smoke. (laughs) Hi, Jesus, here's some smoke. (laughs) I want to get there with something besides smoke. Not because I have to. Not because I'm trying. No, that's complete. I want to lay some crowns at his feet and say, thank you, Jesus. It, It wasn't me. It was your Holy Spirit who gave me the gift in the first place to serve you with. You get all the glory, but I thank you. That's normal. That's natural. It's a privilege. It's awesome. Okay, now we don't get there, right, when we get to heaven in this scene, and we don't, hey, my crown's bigger than your crown. Hey, my crown's bigger than you. You got three, I got five. Too bad. <laughs> you know, that's not what it is. Again, we all level playing field. We lay them at the feet of Jesus, right? But it's a privilege, it's an honor, okay? But here's our, here's our problem. We all say, yeah, serving Jesus, serving God. That's awesome. That's right, Pastor Billy. It's a wonderful privilege for every single Christian to do. We even get to earn crowns to lay his feet one day. Woo, something better than smoke. But when it comes to serving in the church, what do we do? In all seriousness, unfortunately, we do think it's optional. Well, let me check my calendar. Anybody glad when Jesus was going to the cross? Halfway there, he goes, "You know, excuse me, guys. I'm not sure if I can pull this off for you. I mean, I have the ability. Let me check my calendar. Anybody glad that Jesus served you all the way faithfully? We think it's optional or we just flat out don't do it. Or worse yet, when we do get around to doing it, serving the church, we do it with the wrong motive. And that motive needs to be purified. And until it is, you're always going to start, stop, start, stop, start, stop. And hopefully I'm going to open your eyes to that, okay? The first time we finally get around to serving the church, first time we don't get Kudos right? I'm not talking about that candy bar, okay? Uh, that's three. I'm in trouble. Uh, uh, some form of acknowledgement, right? Or, or tons of thanksgiving, or, or somebody looks at his cross side. They criticize what we do. Ah! We quit. Let's go back to that analogy again. How many guys are glad that when Jesus got halfway here and he says, all right, okay, fortunate for you, my calendar's open. But I'm tired of you guys spitting at me. I'm tired punching me, ripping out my beard. I'm tired of you whipping me with the scourge, and I quit. You glad Jesus didn't quit? What are we doing? Right? And that's what we do. Is we, we give up. And so we miss out on the blessing and the privilege of serving Jesus and the privilege of laying a crown at his feet. You ain't going to earn a crown if you just sit there. And it's a privilege, okay? So God sees this, and he loves us. We're his kids. So, what's he do? Out of love, out of mercy, out of incredible sovereign goodness, here's what he does. He orchestrates a few difficulties, especially a few difficult people, even in the church. And you know what? You can learn real fast. You can either keep whining and complaining and quit when people don't give you the kudos you think you deserve, or you can just keep moving forward. Because you know what? You're not doing it for them. Oh, you're doing it unto them, but you're doing it for Jesus. And when you get to that point, Christian, haven't you learned this one yet? I hope you have. It took me years. I don't care what people... Now, now, listen, God's not condoning rotten behavior in the church. I'll get to that at the next point. It's called discipline. Okay? But listen, I'm not going to let, by the grace of God, it's not me, it's by the grace of God, by his spirit, I'm not going to let somebody else dictate my walk of service to Jesus Christ. God will take care of you. God will take care of your mouth. God will take care of your criticism. But you ain't going to trick me into quitting to earning a crown to lay at my Lord's feet because I'm doing it for him. I'm doing it unto you. I wish you'd appreciate it. But you know what? It doesn't matter anymore because it's about Jesus. Okay? You've got to get to that point. You've got to be purified to that point. Our service, God will use even... He's not condoning their behavior. Please don't misunderstand me. They're going to stand accountable for that. But sometimes that behavior is a heart check. And if you quit, then can I tell you something? Can I be blunt with you? You weren't doing it for Jesus. Because if you're doing it for Jesus, nobody can make you stop. And you keep moving forward. That's how you earn a crown. That's how it's guaranteed, okay? So how do you know if you're one of those people who still need to have their service to Jesus purified? Well, let's take the little acid test. It's really just simple. Is what you're doing for Jesus, is it a job? Or is it still a loving ministry? Right, let's take that acid test real quick here. Uh, if you do it because no one else will, it's a job. But if you're doing it to serve the Lord, hey, it's a ministry, man. Hey, if you do it just enough to get by, that's a job. But if you do it to the best of your ability for Jesus, that's a ministry. If you quit because somebody criticized you, it was a job. But if you keep on service, man, serve away. It's a ministry. It's about Jesus. If you quit because nobody praised you, they didn't say not one thing. Hey, that's a job. But if you do it because you think it needs to be done for the Lord, Hey, that's a ministry. Hey, if your concern is just success, that's a job. But if your concern is faithfulness to Jesus Christ, that is a ministry. It's hard to get excited about a job, amen, unfortunately. Okay, hey, but it's impossible not to get excited about a ministry. What? Are you kidding me? You get to serve Jesus. This is great. Woo-hoo. Right? Average churches, here's the point, are filled with many people doing many jobs. But great churches, Christian, are filled with many people who are involved in ministry. That's the difference and people may say well done when you do your job but jesus christ will say well done thou good and faithful servant when you complete your ministry to him which one do you want right that's your acid test makes all the difference in the world okay and isn't that what we all say we want to hear from jesus one day well done thou good and faithful servant is he going to say it when we started out pretty good but somebody criticized us or didn't give us that kudos which is a sign we're not really doing it for him And we quit? No. Don't kid yourself. Day in, day out, my motive is for Jesus. I'll leave those people's behavior in his hands. But I'm going to do what he has supernaturally called me to do. Because nobody is going to dictate my walk or service to him. Nobody is going to trick me into having the privilege to lay a crown at his feet for saving me from hell. That's the game, isn't it? When churches are about not just doing jobs, when churches are full of Christians who are doing ministry, it's exciting. And great things take place. Amen? Let's be that church. All right, the 19th reason. Well, here's the flip side. You keep it up. What's going to happen to those other people? Dun, dun, dun. Uh, yeah, that's my creepy sound. Uh, he's going to spank you. Turn to somebody and say, don't get a spanky wanky. Mm-hmm right god's faithful he doesn't play favorites man you get out of line just like a natural kid parent relationship he's gonna spank you right but let's take a look at that text it's it's hebrews very clear i don't know how you get any more blunt than this yes sometimes you go through hard times because god's spanking you right hebrews 12 verse 4 through 10 in your struggle against sin uh hebrews says you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood whoa how many guys would say that? that means serious resistance you're just whoa you got a serious attitude of staying away from sin. Nothing casual about that. And you've forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart. When you, he what? He, God, rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he can't stand. I'm sorry, wrong translation. He loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a what? A son, your ex-kid. So endure hardship as what? A discipline. God is treating you as sons. And here's the point: for what son is not disciplined by his father? Right? Anybody ever get disciplined by your dad? Anybody ever do that exciting dance when you're about ready to get a? We used to get. We used to call them back in Kansas whoopings. You get a whooping? You ever get a whooping? Right? And when dad gets you, he's getting ready to give you the whooping, and you start doing what I call the whooping dance. Woo-hoo! You're trying to run away in circles. Right? It's just crazy about a circle. You end up right where you started. So dad's just waiting. You're still going to get it. All right, whatever, that's the whooping dance, all right? But anyway, so, right? dad's going to get you, guess what? God loves you, you're his child, you're going to get it too if you get out of line. That's what he's saying, it's the same thing. Well, don't think it's some, you know, but that's the problem. People paint God as, oh, he never touched a, f- hurt a flea. Come on, he loves us. If you are not disciplined, he says this, okay, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're what? You're not even a Christian. He said, oh, I've never been disciplined by God. Everything's great, I've never... You might want to make sure you're saved. Because anybody perfect in this room, you raise your hand, you're going to get it. Oh, better put mine down. We're all going to get a spanking from God because he loves us. We get out of line it's for our good then you are illegitimate children and not true sons moreover we've had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it right how much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best but God disciplines us for our own good why? that we may what? share in his holiness right? let me translate that for you like father like son he wants us to resemble him right? He wants us to emulate him, okay? But what we see is God not only wants you and I to keep on resisting sin to the point where we're shedding our own blood. That, I mean, again, that's, that's how it starts off. I mean, we're fighting against sin. We're every ounce of our lives. We're taking this serious. There's no compromise. We're not you know, making rationalizing. We're not excusing it, man. We are serious. But guess what? Even on our best attempts, we still, we still blow from time to time, don't we? Okay? And God says, listen, man, if you got that attitude where you just could give a rip about sin, you could care about sin, and and you're just uh, doing your own thing, whatever, and you're not resisting, what's what's God going to do for his kid? Spanky-wanky, right? He's going to spank you, right? He's going to discipline you. Why? Because he loves us. He wants us to share in his holiness, okay? But this is our problem. Our society, listen, has so convinced us, even in the church, that discipline, all discipline is bad, right? Have you noticed that the kids with each succeeding generation are getting more and more well behaved? <laughs> no, they're not. Why? Because of what is going on and being put in their minds in the educational system, pop psychology, secular psychology that says don't you dare discipline a kid, don't ever tell him wrong. In fact, you can't even compete in school anymore. Everybody gets a trophy no matter how good you do. You can be the worst team in the world, you're still getting a trophy. There's no competition because everybody's wrong. nobody's wrong and <laughs> It's crazy. And they say, don't you dare discipline a kid at home, at school, because you will damage their self-esteem. If I tried that with my dad, I'd be taking another lap with my whooping dance. Are you kidding me? I'd still get it. Self-esteem. I'll give you some self-esteem. Right? <laughs> give me a break. Right? What's going on? Now, can I tell you, it's one thing for the world to do that because they don't know, right? They're not Christians. They don't know. This is coming to the church. One of the weakest things that I've ever, in all the years of ministry, 20-some years now, in ministry, doesn't matter where I've pastored, where I've served as a Christian, the number one, one of the, man, maybe it is number one, thing that I see that churches are constantly weak in is in the area of discipline. And then when you try People act like you're an ogre. I said, what are you talking about? It's because I love you. you know, let, me give, let me give you an analogy. I mean, my son, he's playing out in the street. And, and I warned him, don't play out on the street because I don't want you to get hit by a car. Is that mean? And then let's say I gave him that order and he still went ahead and did it and kept doing it. And then I punished him and grounded him for a week. Am I being a mean ogre? Did I damage his self-esteem? Are you kidding me? That's what every parent should do. Then how much more in the church when we get out of line, when we start to become a detriment to each other, when we start hurting each other, right? As a parent, have you ever had to discipline your kids that they're going at it? Why can't you do that in the church? What's wrong with that? Why is that being mean? That's normal for, listen, a healthy family. But if nobody could say nothing, nobody could do nothing, there's no standard. No wonder things even in the church are messed up today. Okay, and this is our problem, okay? Our society's convinced us that and you got this whole church growth movement, fluffy stuff that's all you ever get and nobody's doing nothing wrong and they've literally changed the character of God. Now, their version of God, the Father, our heavenly Father, he's a grandfather. He rides on a fluffy cloud in the sky and he hands out candies and yum-yums all day long to his kids. You want to go to Disneyland? Let's go to Disneyland. Let's do that. First of all, the Bible says God's our father, not our grandfather. And God doesn't have grandkids. He only has kids. That'll preach. You can't get there on somebody else's coattails. Okay? And just like any old good old father on earth, God will discipline his kids when they get in line. Why? Because he cares about them. Okay? This is what we're supposed to do. Discipline, the Bible says, is one of the best acts of love you can do individually in the church or in your family. In fact, the Proverbs even uses some serious strong words that says, if you don't discipline your kids, you hate them. Why? Because do you think society's going to put up with that? Do you think the police officer's going to put up with that? Right? Do you think the court system's going to, do you think the employer's going to put up with that? And yet you raise them up, no discipline, and they go, yeah, so much for loving your kid. And again, same thing in the church. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with them? God cares for us. In fact, folks, if you look at the scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, God's been consistent. He doesn't play favorites. The scripture is clear. You get out of line and not only become a detriment, not just a bad witness, but you even keep going and you start to hurt God's people. It ain't good. You're going to get disciplined. Let's just take a look at real quick that. People discipline in the Bible. Uh, for instance, Israel whine and complain about God's provision. So, what God do? He sent a plague. Numbers chapter 11. When Miriam and Aaron complained about their leadership, and Miriam, what happened? God struck her with leprosy, uh, Numbers chapter 12. When Korah caused a rebellion to usurp the leadership, guess what? All those people died, Numbers 16. When Achan compromised with sin, what happened? He died, Joshua chapter 7. When King Saul gave God half obedience to God, he was what? He was rejected, okay? Lost his kingship by God, 1 Samuel 15. When David committed murder, right? What happened? There was a price to pay. Still had a man after God's own heart, but there was a price to pay. He lost his son. Okay, the scripture talks about when Ananias, New Testament, New Testament, Ananias and Sapphira, when they lied to God, what happened? They both died, Acts chapter five. When Christians in Corinth were taking communion in an unworthy manner and causing divisions and being selfish and self-centered, some of them got sick and some of them what? Died, So it's not just an Old Testament issue, it's a New Testament issue. God doesn't play favorites. It's not one just being a bad witness, but when you keep it up and you become a detriment to the people of God, you're going to get disciplined. Okay? And I don't know about you, but whew, big sigh of relief here. I'm so glad we never do that today. We, we don't complain about God's leadership or the leadership's re- a direction we don't rebel we don't compromise with sin we don't whine or complain about god's provision we don't give god half obedience we don't commit adultery visually with the eyes or murder people with their mouth or lie or cause divisions in the church or flipping about the things of god in the church like give no no we're just fine no we're not and see you know what i'm often one to this how many times have we got a spank from God because we did one of those things as a Christian, myself included? And he disciplined us by one means or another, but we didn't recognize it as the hand of God. We blamed it on the devil. We blamed it on somebody else, which means you probably didn't learn the lesson, which means you know what you're headed for? I'll do it again you're taking another whooping lap. What? God is our heavenly father. He loves us. We're his kids. When you get on the line, he is going to discipline you because he loves you. He wants all of us to not just resemble him. He wants all of us with the gifts that he's given to be a benefit to one another. We shouldn't be beating each other up. That's what the world does. When the world comes here, they should be able to say, wow, I never get this. I've never had a family that gets along like this. I've never had anybody care for me like this. I've never had anybody that ripped the shirt off their back to take care of me. This is, can I be a part of that family? But if that's not what you're getting in the church, something's wrong. Something's wrong. Discipline needs to go out some, Something's wrong. Okay? And we need to make it right. Okay. Now, here's the secondary problem. The moment uh, what we do is that's bad enough that we'll get a spank if we get out of line. But uh, what happens is when somebody gets back at us, let's say we're on the receiving end of somebody's bad behavior in the church, right? Not condoning it, but what slave we are, right? What happens is we make a secondary mistake, and uh, we don't handle it God's way and go through proper channels of church discipline, which is called Matthew 18. I'll get to that in a second. What we do is, oh yeah, boom, pounce on them, revenge time. You're gonna get it right now. Instead of doing it God's way, right? Not condone their behavior, but now you just did what's called eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. And you know what you're headed for? You're going to get spanking too. All right? They started it, but you just, you made it worse, okay? All right. But see, that's why the Bible says, listen, God doesn't condone any bad behavior, but there's comes a point in time when you know what? You just back off and pray and God will take care of them. Nobody is going to escape. And that's why he says this, folks, in this passage, Romans chapter 12, verse 19 through 21. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. Why? Because it is written, it is mine to avenge. I, God says, will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, what do you do? You feed him. If he's thirsty, what do you do? You give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head, he says. Do not overcome by evil, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil by doing what? The exact opposite, right? God is not condoning their behavior, but he says the way that you effectively deal with somebody's behavior is yes. Number one, you need to follow Matthew 18. Let me break that down for you. When somebody does something to you, even in the church that you don't like, whatever, what do you do? Go call pastor Billy. No, you're not there yet. Number one, you're supposed to be adults. You're supposed to be Christians. You go to that person, not me, not the deacons, nothing. You go to that person. Why? Because it doesn't need to become some big, giant gossip fest. You go to that person, you deal with it, and then make amends. God's all about reconciliation in the church. He wants unity. But Matthew 18 says you go to that person, and in love, you share your grievances and hopefully work things out. Now, two, he's got a backup plan. If that doesn't work, step two, Matthew 18, you take another person with you. And what you do is you stack the deck. You make sure that person is your best friend who's going to agree with everything you say. No. <laughs> you take somebody who's supposed to be like a mediator, who will be honest, listen to both sides, and then work it out, right? Step two, that's the worst case scenario. Step three, if you still can't do it after that, yes, take it to the church leadership, but not until then. Not until this. The Matthew 18 principle. Okay, But apparently, even then, worst case, triple worst case scenario, let's say the leadership doesn't deal with it effectively. Back off. I've been through this so many times. Not just as a pastor, as a Christian. Even before I even got into ministry, I watched God do this, I don't know how many times. I could be up here telling you all kinds of stories and they ain't good. And, and I learned the first time, did, did, have you realized that God gives much better spankings than anything we could ever dream of? Have you learned that one yet? Man, I, I, I remember the first time it happened, it was so abundantly clear that I see, I didn't, man, God took care of that. <sighs> be honest with you, I got a little excited about it. You know what happened? I got a spanking. <laughs> you don't rejoice in the discipline of other people. But, okay, so after that, but from then on, I have learned time and time again, I listen, even if everything goes completely awry and nobody seems to follow Matthew 18, you know what, just back off. God will take care of it. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. He'll take care of it. And you know what? Man, does he ever dish out. He knows where to spank it. He does. Okay? Don't seek revenge. Because oftentimes, you reap what you sow comes back at you real quick. Like this lady. It's time for this video again. Here's why you don't take revenge no matter what. Let's take a look at this.
1: i got a dear friend named Benji and his wife Connie. They're in the ministry. (laughs) they're one of my own kind now you need to understand something we in the ministry we're normal regular people we we're just regular folks we're god-called but we're regular we're sinners just like everybody else. and in our marriages sometimes we have little tests and tough times i know my sugar baby and i do i don't like to call them arguments maybe just discussions <laughs> there's a hebrew word for that makar makar which means a whole bunch of bull <laughs> but, uh, but old Benjamin Con that day that had a little tiff, you know it had a little teff, you know on that Friday you know she just didn't think he did enough and wouldn't help out enough, you know how you know and so they had a banquet that night at church, real formal thing, I mean, really going to be nice. girls ladies going to wear the the formals and uh, and the men were going to dress up, and so they had to go, and he's on staff, he had to be there, you know in the ministry, you got to go, and uh, they are going to have to fake it the whole night, you know what I mean they're just going to have to act like everything's fine <laughs> well. Sure enough, she's put on her formal, and she's got one of these long zippers, you know, from the the waist all the way to the neck. You know, one of those long jobber dues She can't really get it all the way. And she said "Do you think you can help me with the zipper? Do you think you can do that much?" <laughs> oh, baby! Old Ben says, "Yeah, I can do it. I can do it." He grabs that zipper, goes on up there, gets up there, and he thinks, well, I have a little fun?" So he goes. And i said, it broke it. Oh. Oh, baby. Oh, but he broke it. She said, you do not break my zipper. You know, they had to be there in about 15 minutes. He said, I'll fix it. So we got some pliers, couldn't fix it. They had to pin it. She had to put a shawl on in June. You know what I mean? And so she said, I'm so embarrassed. I've never been so embarrassed. She didn't have another form. She said, I have to wear this. I have to wear a shawl my grandmother made. He said, well, you look good, baby. She said, oh. They get in the car. They get there. As soon as they get there, you know, they see people. Hey. Hey, 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 great. hey doesn't you look great? do not you look great? Oh, yeah. Connie, your shawl is really
0: nice.
1: <laughs> she went, oh, my grandmother made it for me. And I knew it would be cold tonight up here. It's always so cold, you know. And I just thought I'd wear it to stay warm. And they went, yeah, great. Wish I had one. <laughs> but anyhow, you know how. So they went through that whole evening, and they got in the car to go home. She said, I have never been so humiliated and embarrassed my whole life. And he said, honey, everybody said you look great. They were lying. They were just being Christian. (laughs) They get home. They go to bed. They don't pass go. They don't collect $200. I mean, they they just go to bed. She sleeps on her side. He sleeps on his side, if you can understand what I'm trying to say. Next morning, she gets up ahead of him, gets all dressed, fixed up. She sort of wakes him, he said, hey, what are you you doing, Connie? She said, Bench, I'm going shopping. I'm gonna buy me two formals. I'm gonna charge him with a credit card. I don't care what Larry Burkett says, do you (laughs) (laughs) know? Woo-hoo, baby, yeah. So all of a sudden, he says, go ahead, go ahead, be a bad steward if you want to be a bad steward. Go ahead. So she hooks him. She comes back that Saturday afternoon about two, co- 2 o'clock in the afternoon. She pulls up, and there's old Binge underneath his car working, working his heart out, doing something, changing oil or something. She gets out and carries all these bags, you know. She goes up by him and stands there, and, and he, about this much of his body is showing, you know, the rest underneath the car. She just looks down there and sees his zipper. And she just started of tempted, and she goes, oh, puts stuff down, and reaches down, and goes, <laughs> then, picks her stuff up, walks inside, puts her stuff on the kitchen table, goes back into the den, and there's Benji watching television. I'm sorry about the dress. I'm sorry about it. She said, "I don't care about the dress." Who is underneath our car? He said, "Oh, Bubba from next door." He changed all in his car. Said, "While he was in it, he changed all in ours." She went. He said, "What's the matter? What's the matter?" She told him what she did. He said, "You did not. You did." I went, I went out there. I didn't know. I thought it was you. I just grabbed it. And like, do, 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 do. She looked at him. She said, you go out there and you do something to fix it. She said, if you, if you don't, and you better not let him know it was me. If, if you let him know, if you, I mean, if you if you let him know it was me, you will not be singing what a fellowship, what a joy divine. You understand what i he 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 understood her language there and benji goes out there bubba's still underneath the car he said hey bubba come on out i need to talk to you bubba does not move he squats down there and looks underneath there bubba is out cold he pulls bubba out slaps him on the cheek and said bubba 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 goes benji i was putting the last twist on your oil filter some woman came and grabbed my zipper and started zipping on my zipper and said, I tried to look up to see who it was, must have hit my head on the manifold. Benji said, I've heard about her. She lives way down the street. She lives way down the street. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Favorite illustration on Reveal? To think that actually happened. Can you believe that? I'm just I'm kidding. Me. Well, here's the point. How many of you guys have learned the hard way like that? Lady, there's a reason why the Bible says, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, not the lawyer, not you. Payback was pretty quick, wasn't it? Okay? Why? Because God loves all his children. And all humor aside, hey, listen, when we get out of line like the other person gets out of line, or any Christian gets out of line, God wants us to be a healthy benefit to one another. And if we start to give people a bad impression of what it means to be a true Christian, bad advertisement for Jesus, or we keep it up and we become a detriment to each other, you're going to get a spanking. But listen, even if you've been on the recipient end of that person's behavior, and you tried Matthew 18, if it still doesn't work, it's okay. I mean, not condoning it. God doesn't condone it. But God always has the last word. Give it over to him. He'll take care of it. Just don't rejoice over their spanking. All right? The final one, the twenty-three. reason. I actually had more, but I lost my notes, so maybe God's sparing you. But the 23. reason. Why is God doing this? What's the good thing? The final one is, I think this is obvious. He's trying to take you to heaven. Did you know that? He's trying to take you... See heaven, okay, and this is what we see in this passage of scripture Romans chapter 2 verse 4 through 5 Don't you realize how kind how tolerant and patient God is with you. I mean, don't you care? I mean, and can't you see how kind he's been and giving you time to turn from your sin, but no You wouldn't listen So you are what you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself because of your stubbornness in refusing to turn from your sin So here, God obviously wants all of us to be saved. He demonstrates that by showering his love and kindness and and tolerance and patience on all. Jesus even said God sends rain on the just and the unjust. But if we're honest with ourselves, most of us usually don't respond to God's call to heaven through Jesus Christ by his act of kindness, do we? See, that's a problem. When things are going great, when we're experiencing God's kindness, when we're experiencing his general blessing, why we don't need God. Everything's fine. And here's the reality: if we refuse to turn from our sin, if we refuse to get saved, we're not going to heaven, we're going to hell. Right? And how many guys would say that's the ultimate big problem. So, what's the scripture say? God is not willing that any should perish, but all to come to repentance. He wants all people saved. So out of love, out of mercy, out of incredible wisdom and goodness, you know what He does? Hey, he'll orchestrate some difficulties, and guess what? You can learn real fast. You can keep on rebelling against God and stubbornly go to hell, or you could just repent and receive his forgiveness and go to heaven. That's it, right? And folks, if it takes difficulties to get our eyes open to our spiritual need, praise God for that. So be it. Whoa, thank you, God, for caring enough. I call it this. Break my kneecaps. So, I'll finally bow and receive what you want, and that's salvation. That's the best thing that could ever happened. And this loving gesture from God, folks, allowing difficulties to get a person saved, it's a much more common scenario if we're honest with ourselves, right? Let me give you a couple obvious examples. This is what it took for my dad. My dad, personally, over the years, my dad stubbornly refused to see his need for Christ. So it took the death of my dad's sister before his eyes were open. And in his moment of grief and despair, dad shares that a pastor came over and was visiting him and prayed that God would touch my dad with a tangible uh, expression of his love for my dad. And my dad says right after the pastor finished praying that it was like a a lightning bolt, man, hit his head, boom, all the way through his body, down to his toes. And he said, he quote, never felt the love and peace of God. From that point, he knew God was really got right with God and got saved. So here's my point. Was God trying to torture my dad? Was he being a big meanie by allowing the death of my dad's sister and he was now the only child? Uh, no, when all was said and done, my dad got saved. And he's not on the highway to hell, he's on the highway to heaven. Same thing happened with my uncle. Maybe it's just my family, I don't know. Right? <laughs> Pray for us. Right? He, he didn't need, have a need for God. He was perfectly fine without him. You know, living the American dream. I'm not that bad of a guy. You've heard that before. So over the years, it took the death of his four-year-old daughter, his 21-year-old son, and his wife before his eyes were him. So is God trying to be me? He's trying to torture my uncle. No. When all got said and done, my uncle got saved. He's not on the highway to hell. He's on the highway to heaven. As you guys know, it is a family issue with me. That's what happened to me. Right? That's what it took for me. Right? I didn't need God. I was my own God. I was in the occult New Age. Right? I didn't need God? I thought Christians were a bunch of duped idiots that had to have a book tell them what to do. I was much more smarter than that. So over the years, it took me getting strung out on demonic drugs, demonic teachings, and demonic attacks before my eyes were open. Unless you ran to my bedroom and cried out to God in bare bones faith, God, if you're real and you want this life, you can have it. I knew enough to call upon specifically the name of Jesus Christ, ask him to forgive me of all my sins. Bang! Instantly was saved. The demons, everything was gone. It was awesome. So is God trying to torture me by going through all that? Literally on the verge of insanity. Was spiritual warfare. No. Praise God, I never would wish that on anybody. But you know what, if that's what it took for my own stubborn hard heart to finally drop on my knees and cry out to Christ, amen, thank you Jesus. God will use hard times because he's not willing anybody to perish. Because unfortunately we don't respond to his kindness, okay? God doesn't want you to end up like these people. Unfortunately, people still refuse to receive God's mercy. God doesn't want anybody to experience this. You don't have to. But if you press all the way to the end, here's how you're going to leave the planet. This is true story stuff here, folks. Thomas Paine, he said, I would give the worlds if I had them, if the age of reason had never been published. Oh, Lord, help me. Christ, help me. Stay with me. It is hell to be left alone. And he died. Voltaire, you know the atheist, right? who said that Christianity was going out of existence? He said, "I'm ab- on his deathbed. I am abandoned by God and man. I shall go to hell. Oh Jesus Christ!" And he died. David Hume, the atheist, died in utter despair and an awful scene crying out, "I am in the flames and he died." Karl Marx was on his deathbed surrounded by candles burning to Lucifer. He screamed at his nurse who asked him if he had any last words. And He says, go on, get out. Last words are for fools We haven't said enough. And he died. Nietzsche, remember he said God was dead? Okay, he died insane, completely out of his mind. Sir Thomas Scott says, until now I thought there was no God or hell. Now I know there's both and I am doomed. And he died. And Sir Francis Newport says, do not tell me there is no God, for I know there is one, and that I am in his angry presence. You need not tell me there is no hell, for I already feel my soul slipping into its fires. I know that I am lost forever, and he died. How many guys would say that's probably not the best way to leave the earth? Anybody? And that's on record, and how many times does that happen? Every single day. But the good news is God is not willing that any should perish, but all come to repentance. And sometimes he'll use difficulties to try to, please, turn around. I don't want that to happen to you. Come to Jesus. Call upon his name. Ask him to forgive your sins. And guess what? Then you get to leave earth like this. Much better option. I think anyway. Let's take a look at some Christians leaving the earth. All right, uh, Dwight Moody woke before sleep, shortly before he died. And he says, "Earth recedes, heaven opens before me. If this is death, it is sweet. There is no valley here. God is calling me, and I must go." His son said, "Father, no, 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 you're dreaming." And his dad says, "No, no, I'm not dreaming. I have been within the gates. This is my triumph. This is my coronation day. It is glorious." Another preacher, the guy that wrote Rock of Ages, he says on his deathbed, "The consolations of God are such an of an unworthy wretch are so abundant that he leaves." me nothing to pray for but a continuance of them i enjoy heaven already in my soul and he went to be with the lord lady goodnork said listen if this is dying it is what It is the pleasantest thing imaginable. John Pawson, the ministry, said, I know I am dying, but my deathbed is a bed of roses. I got no thorns planted on my dying pillow. In Christ, heaven has already begun. Adam Johnson, he's a famous missionary. He says, I go with the gladness of a boy bounding away from school. I feel so strong in Christ on his deathbed. John List said, listen to this. Can this be death? This is better than living. Tell them I die happy in Jesus. Martha McCracken, how bright the room, how full the angels. Mary France, oh, that I could tell you what joy I possess. The Lord does shine with such power upon my soul. David Brewster, he said, I will see Jesus. I shall see him as he is. I've had the light for many years. Oh, how bright it is. I feel so safe and satisfied. Listen to this. A Muslim woman whose child had died at 16-year-old asked a Christian missionary, quote, what did you do to our daughter? And the Christian missionary said, we did nothing. And the Muslim lady said, oh, yes, you did. She died smiling. Our people don't die like that. As it turns out, the girl found Christ, got saved a few months before. Fear and death had gone, and hope and joy had taken its place. And finally, a Chinese communist, through whom many pastors have been executed, said to a Christian pastor, quote, I have seen many of you die, Christian. The Christians die in a different way. What is your secret? I'll tell you the secret. Secret is this. We Christians have taken God at His Word, and we've entrusted our lives to Jesus Christ. I've heard a couple testimonies of people actually responded to God's kindness. But most of us, what did it take? Took those hard times. But you know what? We get to leave like that. How many guys would say that's a much better option? Okay? And so does God he every one of us. And so that's why we, whether we want to admit it or not, whether we like it or not. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, if you're trusting in something else other than the cross of Jesus Christ, his work, his sacrifice, in your place for your sins, your crimes against God, if you're trusting in yourself, if you're trusting in your works, if you're trusting your church attendance, if you're trusting in getting water dumped on you, if you're trusting in something else other than Jesus Christ, you're not saved. And if that's you here today, don't risk it. Turn to Jesus. Leave this earth strong and happy in Christ before it's too late. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today,